why not have something you control? Not that Google controls, not that Facebook controls. Own your own identity and have it done in such a way that it's verifiable. Not that you can change, something that is proven over time. So we don't need that trusted central party anymore. Welcome to a special edition of CoinGeek Conversations. Craig Wright there ushering in a new era of owning your own digital identity. Natalie Mason, joined by a wonderful panel, Charles Miller, who's with us in London, a writer and documentary filmmaker for CoinGeek, and of course, a regular fixture here on CoinGeek Conversations. Hello, Charles. How are you doing today? Hi, Nat. Uh, Very well, thank you. And happy holidays to you and everybody. And of course, live and direct from Chicago, we have Kurt Wickert Jr., another great host and writer here at CoinGeek and our resident Bitcoin historian. How's it hanging in Chicago, Kurt? As always, it's windy and cold, and uh, <laughs> that's why I got the blue light on behind me today to remind everyone that uh, if I go outside, I will freeze solid. But otherwise, uh, I'm good. Family's good. It is warm inside, so I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Oh, I like how this has worked out. We've got the matching blues over there and the matching <laughs> plants over here. Certainly... Uh, Last in our panel, but never least, Patrick Prince from the Bitcoin Association. And of course, you're there, Europe and operations manager, advancing business growth for the blockchain. Wonderful to have you, Patrick. How are you doing? Thank you for having me, Natalie. And yes, uh, all I could find in my apartment uh, is this plant because I'm about to move house. So uh, I have only this exotic plant to offer. (laughs) Yeah, it's tropical in, in Zug, right? <laughs> Is that right, Patrick? You're in Zug? So I'm in Zurich. Um, but Zurich. You know, as, as you've pointed out, the headquarters of the Bitcoin Association is now in Zug. And I guess we'll also address this uh, Wonderful. Well, guys, we have a very exciting show planned today. Before we say goodbye to 2020, and I mean, my gosh, what a crazy year it's been for all of us with... COVID and in certain industries, economic stagnation, job uncertainty. Luckily, this is not the case for Bitcoin SV. Fantastic year all around. Well, in my opinion, I'd love to get all of yours. So Patrick, how has this year been for Bitcoin SV? I think definitely encouraging. Uh, We've seen major developments uh, on the one side on the infrastructure the genesis earlier february um, we have um, restored uh, most of the protocol and delivered against the promise also of bitcoin satoshi vision and i think it's really the start now of an era that will see people focusing on developing and building business models rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and uh, you know bringing out new protocols very very exciting so charles i'd love to hear from you as well uh, how you'd sum up the year 2020 for bsv well, it's kind of been a year like no other for BSV and, and everything. And if I could nominate my prop of the year, it's <laughs> got to be this. I hope, I hope we don't see so many of them next year. So goodbye, 2020, for that. <laughs> but um, I would say that, I mean, two landmarks for me in the year were the two CoinGeek conferences. 
one in February, just before all this hit us, and then one uh, in the autumn, based in New York, but with a live stage in London as well. And I think the fact that we were able to carry on and have a very, very vigorous and uh, interesting conference in the in October, despite everything, uh, was real tribute to the, the strength behind the growth of BSV at the moment. Absolutely. And it just shows the, you know, the reliability of our industry and also the adaptability there. We were able to put a virtual festival on happening in both New York and London, which is absolutely huge. And of course, Kurt, you were there in New York for that. Let's hear your thoughts and uh, how you'd sum up the year. You know, this is my eighth year as a Bitcoin person. And looking back, there was about six years of debating what Bitcoin was even for, debating what the protocol should do and who should be in charge and which direction are we going. And 2020 for me is is a landmark year in Bitcoin because nobody was talking about the protocol anymore. As soon as Genesis happened, and even before, because we were talking about what it would be like when it happened, but we agreed that opening up the, the protocol and allowing it to scale however it, it may uh, has changed the, the way discussions occur in Bitcoin so much for the better that I, I can't even describe how happy I am to see that now it's people debating token protocols on top of Bitcoin or which social media platform is the best on top of Bitcoin or, or all these different things. And now the, the discussion has finally moved away. It's, it's like we finally took the first actual step up the stairs and we've established that, okay, now, like now we need to decide what the next step looks like. But it's, it's been so long coming. And I think 2020, as much as it's been a hard year in, in so many ways, uh, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air. I can't tell you how much relief I have to see entrepreneurs saying, okay, I can make a 10-year plan based on trusting the fundamental underlying layer of Bitcoin that I can build my business upon. And now it's, it's up to competition. People are competing and, and we've seen that explosion of, of business and use cases and experimental token protocols and you know, all, all kinds of crazy things. But that's, uh, to me, 2020 is, is that landmark. I, I think we'll look back on it in a decade and say that was when the, the seed finally started to bloom. Beautiful. That is so, so well put. Could not agree more. Uh, and of course, speaking of these juicy discussions, we've each managed to choose one of our highlight moments of the year from CoinGeek videos past. So we're going to go around and have a little look and a chat about those. Kurt, let's start with you. What do you have for us today? So looking back, I think the year really started uh, CoinGeek conference in in. February was actually preceded by about two or three weeks of, of some of the biggest builders, uh, the people that are those entrepreneurs that I was just speaking about. They, they met up two weeks early. They, they hung out in Berlin, and then they went and hung out in Lisbon. Uh, Jack Lou put together the Cambrian SV. It, it was the second uh, Cambrian event, but they met in, in Lisbon, and there was this outing, uh, and it was filmed so beautifully out on this port. Uh, and Paul Martin, who's a guy that not a lot of people know because he doesn't talk so much on social media, but he's this really thoughtful and deliberate thinker. And he gave this really passionate speech about explorers. And I, I just think it was wonderful. And to me, it really highlighted uh, the, the whole point of, of the event, and maybe the whole point of Bitcoin. So I wish we could bottle up that passion and give it to everybody in Bitcoin. But please watch. It's, it's fantastic.
A lot of these figures, they took enormous risk. They they stood on this ex on these exact steps, looking at these huge galleon ships off into that ocean, and did not have any idea whether they would ever return to come see their families ever again. The reality is, today we only know their narrative based off of how those stories have been told from one generation to the next. I don't know about you all, but one of the things that motivates me the most about Bitcoin is not just the fact that it incentivizes this sort of risk-taking to make the future a better place for our descendants, but the fact that now we have this anchor of truth. So when we tell these stories in the future, we'll know exactly what these people felt as long as you put it on chain. I'm sure many of you right now are looked at like pariahs. You've taken immense risk, career risk, reputational risk, financial risk to be here right now. Very, very motivational speech there. What was it in particular that resonated for you, Kurt? First of all, that it's it's true. I mean, like there are so many people that today they, they hop on a safe path and they go to college and they get the job they're supposed to get and they live their lives and they have their retirement fund and they retire at 65 and a half years old or whenever they're supposed to. And I, I think Bitcoin is is that opportunity to be an explorer again. And, and there's not a lot of those opportunities in the world today. But then also the goal is not just to be an adventurer. It's it's noble. We have this opportunity to to fundamentally change the world. And so that's that's an opportunity that I think every young boy uh, and and young girls too think about like hey what you know can I can I be remembered in 500 years for doing something incredible and and I really think we are the people at the forefront of of having that opportunity so it's just it has huge implications and and yeah. I think Paul Paul captured it perfectly and and I couldn't agree with him more uh, and that's something almost that defies any age group there, this idea of dreaming and what our legacy will be. Um, Patrick, I'd love for you to jump in here because, of course, you made a huge transition in 2018 career path-wise. Let's talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. I think it's still a very early days in this new era. Um, Bitcoin has certainly been delayed in terms of development, but not stopped. It actually allows people like myself who are um, late risers in comparison to someone like Kurt um, and who have come very late into the game. But you can still make a massive impact because the information asymmetry in the market is, is just incredibly large. Um, so Bitcoin is for everyone. Um, there's tools which have not been uh, available earlier for uh, innovators and for, uh, for business minds, such as microtransactions or the immutable timestamp server that the network represents. So... Um, there is, I think we cannot even uh, imagine the, the type of innovation in, in terms of business models that we are going to discover in the next few years. What do you think, Charles? I mean, you were there yourself on the ground that day. Yeah, I was lucky enough to go to that one and the uh, Cambrian uh, meeting in, in Bali before that. And well, I have to give credit to Jack Liu for making the kind of intellectual connection between the Portuguese explorers and his little band of uh, Bitcoin SV developers and entrepreneurs. And yeah, it, 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 that feeling was genuine, I think. And it'll be interesting to see if things develop as people expect and want, we're gonna lose a bit of that 
kind of bond of people be it's us against the world because it'll be bigger and there'll be hundreds of people and thousands of people involved and there won't be that sense of you know people know each other so there'll be there'll be gains and there'll be losses and i think mm-hmm. that was a, a wonderful a wonderful time that anyone who was there will will remember forever really it's beautiful well, well i must say in one sense i feel like we're there already guys this idea of um people being pariahs for being in this type of industry already i mean i've only been involved in this since f- february and the amount of businesses that i've seen come on board to bitcoin sv within that time and big businesses we're talking about and even as we mentioned earlier patrick with the move to zug of the headquarters all of a sudden we're we're seeing a new era even now in 2020 where it's a legitimate business to be in What do you guys think? Um I think there's no way that businesses can avoid uh, Bitcoin SV. It's the only one that scales. And um from based on the experience I have made, um companies have no ideology. Or large enterprises have no ideology because we obviously know some in the business of the digital assets that are that are doing that. But um they are they have investors, they have shareholders and they're profit seeking. They're all they're interested in is top and bottom line. So if you can have an impact on that, um, they want to work with you. And this is what the enterprises and the the, the young ventures within Bitcoin uh, SV should focus on. How can we deliver value? Uh, I I want to say just going back uh, again, going back years and years, and and looking at the way the culture has changed. And I think every time that a new big group of people joins, it's it's going to dilute the influence of of the old early. crowd and and I I think in some ways that's uh that's great but I, it it is fun to have your own little clubhouse at the same time and and to say hey you know we we were we were building this thing when it was just a few hundred of us and and everybody knew everybody else yeah, I mean I think it reminds me of um stories about the growth of tech businesses you know like with Google in the early days Larry and Sergey personally interviewed every new member of so staff. true so true and then and then those early people were sort of you know disappointed that you know that personal contact with the founders got lost i mean in bitcoin sv people are not all working for the same business but there is still a little bit of that same spirit i think well on on to our next i guess on on that note charles do you want to take us into the video that you've selected and why Oh yeah, well actually talking about the internet and uh, Silicon Valley and so on. Um I've chosen a quote from George Gilder who I interviewed at the after the conference in February in London. And I mean he's somebody from the outside world in the sense of he's been involved with tech businesses and finance for decades and he's taken a shine to Bitcoin SV. and uh well this is what he had to say about it i think the uh in general the cryptocurrency movement is smarter uh and more sophisticated about computer science more alert to the flaws in the international economy uh and more shrewd about new entrepreneurial and business models than was the internet movement that preceded it i think it's uh, an amazingly br- brilliant bunch of uh new talent in the world 
capitalism. And from China to London to Berlin to Hong Kong to New York to Seattle, I attend these conferences and I'm awed by the brilliance of, of these, these people. I love that. That coming from George Gilder of all people. I mean, I've become a huge fan of his. Just he, He's really incredible. What do you think it is, Charles, about Bitcoin SV that just really grabbed him? I think it's the, the combination of the technology and the economics, really, because although he started off with interest in technology, he's sort of just as much known as an economist these days. And it's interesting that in that quote, he, he, he talks about um, new talent in world capitalism. I'm not sure that everyone at the conference would have seen themselves as being involved in world capitalism quite like that. But, um, you know, he, what's great about George Gilder, I think, and it's not surprising after that that he was invited back to the next conference after he was so mm-hmm. nice about everybody. Um, but I mean, what's great about him is that he's not just a pushover. He doesn't just say whatever he thinks will be right or popular because he has a big argument with Craig Wright about the limitation on the number of coins. He wants a stable a stable price. That's what he wants. And if that means changing the number of coins, then so be it. And, you know, he's not going to back down on that one. So in that sense, you can really sort of credit him for the, the nice things he has to say about it as well, I think. Absolutely. And coming from all people, he's such a respected figure. What, what do you think about this, Patrick? Yeah, what he says totally resonates with me. It's part of the reason why I decided to, uh, to join uh, Bitcoin SV. Um, the, the breadth and the diversity of people and uh, at the same time, the level of professionalism you need um, in, uh, in, in contrast to uh, other uh, camps, which I have also attended events of. So um, I see a lot of talent. And uh, it's, it's basically mirrored in the, in the projects that we have seen. Yeah, that, that is so true. And I mean, exactly, it takes it to another level. And this not only transcends our different groups that we see within the Bitcoin economy, but as you say, this opens it up to the wider business sphere as well. Um, a very capitalist message there, Kurt. I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, George, George is such a legend. And I think Charles is right he, that he is a technologist, he's a futurist, and he's an economist. But uh, he's not like your typical Paul Krugman economist. He's, he's a very philosophical economist. Mm-hmm. And so he, he takes a, a philosophical and even a, a moral position when he talks about the way that economies function. And I, I think that's why he's so... Uh, so well liked. I think that's why he plays well uh, to to the Bitcoin crowd. But it's funny because he's such a firebrand, and it's it's not a show. I I, I spent a, about an hour backstage with him at, at CoinGeek in New York, and my goodness, when that man walks into the room, and he's in his mid eighties, and he is just he has more energy than anybody. Uh, and then we came to find out uh, that when he arrived, his he brought his wife, and his wife. Let us know as soon as George went on stage that George's mother had died that morning. Uh, she was in hospice. So it was not, you know, it was to be expected. But when George yeah. came off stage, everyone had to say, hey, George, we're really sorry to hear about. Like, you know, we, we could have figured something out. You didn't have to be here if you needed to be with your family. He said, well, absolutely not. The world needs to hear this message. That's what's important. And, you know, so to, to him, the the 
philosophical slant, the, the amount of work that he feels is necessary for him to put into it at this point is, is so fundamental to him that, <laughs> that even in a, a day of tragedy for his family, he came and gave a, a passionate speech about the necessity for data sovereignty and, and your, your sovereignty of, of ownership of money on chain and all this stuff. And so he's such a valuable asset. And, and I think that uh, really plays to, to the fact that he has so much experience with so many other things as well. And he places Bitcoin SV on such a, a pedestal for him to focus on with his own time and money and effort and everything else. So his, his, his value to the, to the space is almost incalculable, frankly. Oh, gosh. Well, I, I'm so glad that you shared that personal insight there, because that's something we'd never be able to tell from watching his entire performance at that conference. You know, yeah. he's delivering it where he's completely managed to separate the box and given it 120 percent. You, you know, you can't yeah. take your eyes off of him when he's there speaking on the stage. Coming back to more of the capitalist angle, that's a nice segue onto the video that I've picked for everyone here today. Another argument that we've seen rife in our space has been this idea of venture capitalism, yes or no, does it work in the Bitcoin SV space? Um, so the video that I've picked is also from the Cambrian SV that happened in Lisbon, another one popular choice today on our panel. Um, but the reason I picked this, and I've, I've picked just one side of the argument here, um, because it's quite fiery, as you'll see. This was a debate between uh, Unbound Capital, which is, of course, uh, a venture capitalist firm, their founder, Jackson Lasky, and Aaron Burns from Twetch. You guys have created an industry, VC, the VC industry. Even if you're different, you're a different kind of VC. Everybody's always a different kind of VC when you're taking the meeting. And then they become the same type of VC when uh, the, the, the books aren't being paid and they're telling you guys to sell all your fucking computers and get out of your office space and all that kind of stuff. But right? doesn't your argument apply to existing tech companies anyway? I mean, why? It, it, it applies to existing tech companies. Well, so the why, do they, why does the well, VC industry the, do so well then? Here, here's the, well, they do so well because they've been able to place bets on a million horses, right? And they've rigged the entire game in favor of okay, themselves. Okay, but what's this got to do with the Bitcoin economy? Yeah, it has to do with, no, excuse me. It has to do with the Bitcoin economy because every single person in this room knows a millionaire. Every single one, right? You've all known guys, if you've been around this space for more than three years, you know somebody who has a million bucks in their pocket right now and can give you $100,000 right now, right? You don't have to go to this guy to go get that same $120,000 for him and his friends to take 35% of your company. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Holding no punches there, nothing back. Uh, Aaron really gave it. He almost swat away Jackson when he tried to speak there. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's funny. It was, it was difficult picking out a section of that debate because Jackson also comes through with some very powerful points for the absolute opposite reason of why venture capitalism is so good. He mentions there in the video that everyone knows a millionaire, um, which, which again is lovely if you were an early, early person in this space, but maybe not everyone has that option um, to go to to just ask for money. And I guess it's about opening up this space to a larger audience and a larger business sphere. Um, of people and invest investment, of course, and venture capitalism, I believe, is a huge part of that. 
what, what do you guys think? So Kurt, uh, well, actually, let's start with you, Charles, because of course you were there and I think you, you did a fantastic job at throwing rocks back at him there. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I do feel a little bad that we didn't let Jackson speak in the clip, but um, uh, we, they, they've had their answer back. Uh, he did at the time answer very well during the debate, but also since then, uh, I've invited Jackson to do a uh, podcast with me and uh, including him playing jazz piano, which he's actually brilliant at and has done professionally as well. So, And then recently I had his business partner, Dave Mullenmore, uh, to talk about their new Venture, which is Unbounded Enterprise. So they are doing very well and are not in any sense um, sitting there taking whatever Aaron has to offer. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting debate, I think. And in Aaron Burns and Josh Petty of Twitch, and in Jackson and uh, Dave, you've got two extremely thoughtful, energetic, clever pairs of people in this BSV world with quite diametrically opposed views. And I mean, Dave, of course, makes a very good point that Aaron may think, you know, people shouldn't accept uh, venture capital. And they are not going around taking entrepreneurs hostage and forcing them to accept money. <laughs> they, only, they only give money to people who want the money. So, um, yeah, very interesting debate, I think. What do you think there, Patrick? Yeah, very highly entertaining and funny to watch. And I think we should be allowed to have such emotional debates. As I said earlier, I think diversity needs to be appreciated. Um, at the same time, I'm a big believer that the market will decide what has value. Um, and as Charles pointed out, you don't have to accept the money. However, for some, it you know, provides a, a very valid and and, uh, and, and, and solid uh, alternative. So um, Bitcoin allows to monetize uh, services uh, in real time, uh, which is an, a new tool that we need to explore. Uh, nevertheless, I don't think uh, venture capital will go away. I actually think um, it, it, it's, a, it's an industry that has also a, a place in, in Bitcoin SD. Thoughts, Kurt? Are you pro or, or con having this inside of the space? You know, it's funny. I, I don't think it's an either or argument. Like Bitcoin enables so many things and it's a both and just like uh, most things in Bitcoin because there's competition. Uh, I, I should give some insight. I'm actually personal friends with Aaron uh, and Jackson. We, like, we talk privately. We talk about you know, just, just random thing. We ask each other how our families are and, and, and we'll just chat, not about business. Uh, and both men are so different in so many ways, but, but they really do have more in common than, than not. They, they truly believe in Bitcoin's abilities and they like to compete with one another. So while I think, uh, you know, Aaron can come across as a, abrasive and, and have some animosity to the concept, I don't think that's necessarily pointed at Jackson. And I think people should be clear on that, that we, we actually all as a larger group communicate and, and have fun as, as sort of a group of friends as well. But uh, to Aaron's point, I, I think um, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about uh, George Gilder as well, that mm. you look at the world that the sort of Silicon Valley venture capital culture created over the last 20 or 30 years. And a lot of that really is very toxic. And, and I think 
if you look at the way that the big tech companies are created, a lot of that was by design from that sort of venture capital ethos that, hey, there's going to be an exit. It's going to be sometime in the next three to five years. You guys all get to retire and we'll bounce on to the next big thing. And it sort of, it, it changes your thinking from, hey, what is my reputation going to be in a hundred years versus, eh, I'm going to leave this town in three to five and I'm going to retire and nobody's ever going to hear from me again. And, and you know, it, it really changes your perspective. And Aaron, Aaron is one of those people that never stops thinking in the broadest sense and the longest terms. So he talks often about, uh, in fact, I think he gave a speech at Cambrian as well about having children. And he's just as passionate yes. about the necessity of, of raising children well as he is well, about everything else. It wasn't just about having children. He was telling everyone they should get on with having children. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and so, you know, pe- people should know that it's not, you know, if you only catch him in a small dose, you'd be like, man, he, you know, maybe he's not a nice guy. And it's, no, he just has very passionate views about things. And he, he is such an asset in that regard. And I mean, talk about a fiery debate, but that's great. That's what we need to see. You know, that's almost why I picked it. It's, an, it's a really entertaining clip there. And there's nothing wrong with having passion in how you're speaking. Um, and to your point there, Kurt, as well, I think finding those common threads that link people that have absolutely different viewpoints, but that you can still find that connecting ground. And that's lovely to hear that on the background, these two guys have that as well. Yeah. Patrick, I'd love to see what you've come up with and why for us today, um, from, from a big business perspective, what have you chosen for us? So Natalie, I picked a clip, uh, a recent one of yours, which was a CoinGeek interview together with the co-founder and CTO of Company with a K. That's Peter uh, Bainbridge Clayton. And uh, I found it particularly interesting because it's an established business uh, with an existing and profitable business model. So um, let's have a look at the clip and then I'm going to speak a bit more about it. We started off with Ethereum. Um, and the reason we started with Ethereum was because it's got a lot of problems, but one thing it does have is a really good smart contract. Of course, if someone's using our, um, our API for, to get one data set for one euro cent, they're not going to w- want to spend 50 euro cents in Ethereum gas just to register that fact. They're going to take the risk. Um, so cost is, an, is a sort of an issue there. So that drove us some, you know, towards the faster chains. Um, we also did some work with uh, Hyperledger mm. on Oracle. Um, and that was that was good. It's, it's nice and quick. It's nice and fast. It's got a good payload capability. But Hyperledger, of course, is private chain, which, interestingly, some people would think is better mm. because if you come from a sort of uh, a dinosaur financials, let's be nice, world, <laughs> um, then it sounds much better. It sounds safer. It sounds, oh, yeah, it's much more protected. No one can see my stuff. But, of course, it's not. If you don't have enough nodes to do the consensus mechanism properly, it's not safe at all. So um, what he's addressing here, I've heard from other companies before. It's a, basically a very nice summary of the experience of large enterprises uh, initially starting typically on Ethereum, then moving over to Hyperledger and realizing that um, 
it does neither of them satisfies the demands or the requirements they have um, for their for their business. Um, we still have to say that company is a, a scale up probably. It's not a, a large enterprise uh, such as uh, EHR data um, and, and the background of the, the company behind that has. Um, nevertheless, they have already come to this conclusion. And subsequently in the video, Peter comments on having always known about Bitcoin SV, but having never looked at it until one of his more recent investors referred him to Enchain. And again, this is something I've heard before. So I feel the only difficulty we face is how do we get enterprises to look at Bitcoin SV? Once they do, there is no way back. And um, I think this is a very positive message. It's one that I, I certainly you know, take into 2021 as a continuum work with enterprises. Um, the only thing we need to do is bring their attention to Bitcoin SV and let them you know, have, use the education we put out there, uh, talk to the right people and uh, start testing. I think they will realize very quickly that it does everything they need. Do either of you want to jump in here? I thought this was a really interesting interview. I didn't really know about what um, Peter's business was before I uh, listened to the interview, and he explained it brilliantly. And what I thought was interesting was that the things he was saying about Bitcoin SV were exactly the things that I was familiar hearing from Craig Wright, Jimmy Wynn, Calvin Air people. And here's a guy from completely outside of that circle who for practical reasons and putting good money into it is betting on exactly the same thing. Those three uh, are always saying are the great things about Bitcoin SV. So that was absolutely terrific. And particularly, I, I like the business that what, he, what his customers need is timestamping. And so getting right down into the detail of the way the blockchain works and taking advantage of that in a very direct way so that businesses can prove that they've done compliance at a certain time and having to prove that and the time is one of the one of the things that they are required to do and the fact that the blockchain bitcoin sv does exactly that uh, was just wonderful to hear i thought yeah and i think as patrick says once people discover this they don't seem to to go back which which says it all um, but, you know, I, I can think of an, another interview that I did with uh, David Case from Chronoverse. There are several examples. And all of these people, as you also said, Patrick, they go through this same cycle almost of trying first on Ethereum, then finding issues with the speed, with the cost, same little pitfalls that people are going through. So it's almost now, and I, I steal these words from Calvin Eyre, but it's almost now a battle of education and just getting the message out there. And then that's all that needs to happen. And then you can just sit back and people will roll with it because it's there, it works, and we actually have valid use cases. Um, you mentioned as well, Patrick, EHR data. For people who aren't familiar, we'll also put a link to that in the description, because that's set to be one of the, the biggest things that we'll see in 2021 in case, in the case of a huge use case from the medical industry in the US. Um, Kurt, what do you think about all of this? 
It, it's fascinating. As, as someone who spends a lot of time on social media and, and sort of engaging in the educational aspect of, of these things, I get asked on almost a daily basis why I would be so foolish as to look at the thousands and thousands of developers on Ethereum and be able to say that they're just simply wrong or that they're uneducated. And I, I default every time to saying that they're not looking to actually create a business that creates transactions on Ethereum. They're, they're using Ethereum as a fundraising mechanism and they have an exit plan. They're, they're not looking to have a million transactions a day in a big business uh, that, that, that needs to scale. So to them, it's about the simplicity of Ethereum, the asset, uh, and the liquidity for them to be able to exit the industry after their token has gone from a hundredth of a penny to $3 a token over the course of six or nine months and they have an exit scam. But any real business that, that tries to set up on Ethereum, if they're an honest business builder looking to, to build there, well, Ethereum does have that sort of brain trust and we're this blue chip crypto network, blah, blah, blah. But if your business actually has a five or a 10 year plan where it needs to scale and actually use a distributed consensus, they very quickly realize oh my goodness, this doesn't work at all. Why is anybody using this tool? I think an additional one is a Peter, I mean, he's a software expert. He's a developer, a software engineer himself. Um, I think he also mentioned in the interview that he was uh, the brain behind the, the architecture of uh, Company House, so the company registry in the UK. The same counts for the people behind HR Data. They are specialists in the industry software that is required. And both of these parties and others from other industries coming to the same conclusion, um, that is really encouraging. What do you think about this, Charles? Well, I think um, for, for the next year, we're looking ahead now. Um, we're beginning to, uh, people looking at Bitcoin SV and the, the history of it and looking into it will begin to sort of appreciate the consistency of message that there has been over, well, a couple of years now, um, things haven't really changed. They, they, they've evolved, but they're moving in the same direction that was promised way back when Bitcoin SV was first mentioned. So in that sense, it's very sort of uh, inspiring of confidence that um, this, this direction of travel is so consistent and the growth is so consistent, albeit perhaps exponential. But, but just looking at that history, I think will inspire confidence in, in anyone who's hearing about it for the first time next year. Absolutely. Well, that's a perfect segue there as well. I think about all we have time for almost is to hear everyone's finishing thoughts. So, so let's hear, what do you hope to see in 2021, Charles, in a few words? Gosh, I, I think I just said it, really. Yeah. I mean, I think more of the same. Um, and I think uh, I'd like to see um, people getting together and hugging each other in person and uh, having drinks together. And that'll be the sort of little extra bonus of uh, uh, business lubricant that uh, will just power things up to the next level, I hope. Exactly. Here we are all in this circle. You know, hopefully we'll be around an actual table um, speaking to one another. What do you think, Patrick? Um, from a Bitcoin Association perspective, um, it's really two words. It's enterprise adoption. 
So I think we should focus much more on what Bitcoin SV can deliver for companies of all sizes versus what Bitcoin uh, Core cannot do. And then the KPIs will be our biggest marketing tools, transactions per second, total network growth, and the transaction costs, which will keep falling. Um, if we do all these things, um, there is no mistake we can make. Beautiful, beautifully said. And to that, let's move over to Kurt. What would you like to see happen in 2021? Well, for me, as a as a Bitcoin historian, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to sort of righting those rhetorical wrongs of the Bitcoin journey. Mm-hmm. I I think it's really important for people to understand where we're going in the context of everything we went through to get here, because so few people, uh, especially as we've barely penetrated the the world market of even understanding Bitcoin at all, I, I think it's very important for them to understand how. Bitcoin SV went through this this long Bitcoin civil war and the nature of the subversion there and all the things that that Craig went through as a person being driven from his home in Australia. And these stories have all been put into context by the enemies of Bitcoin who have taken over that narrative. And I think it's really important to reclaim our sort of ancestral home to say that we saved Bitcoin because we cared about it at a very fundamental level. And, and this is what that journey looked like. And then once we've established those things, I'm really looking forward to the same things you guys said. We, we want to see 100 megabyte blocks regularly and, 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 and bigger and bigger. I'm, I'm looking forward to Terranode and I'm looking forward to the things that are happening uh, with uh, the Zoken Vega product that claims to be able to do 100 million transactions a second on the live net. And, I totally echo that sentiment. Uh, That's about all we have time for. Uh, And thank you guys so much for for joining me here today. Charles Miller, Kurt Wickert Jr., Patrick Prince. Um, That has been a fabulous conversation and and wish you all a happy holiday. Thank you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, guys. We will leave you with Calvin Ayer, founder of the Ayer Group and CoinGeek. Here's why Bitcoin SV is set to transform the business world in 2021 and beyond. We see uh, unique consumer-facing applications and unique enterprise solutions that take advantage of the superpowers of this technology, which is its nanotransaction capability and its immutable data storage on a public blockchain. When those two things combine together, this technology has a global monopoly on, which is patent-protected. So for me, uh, enterprise solutions, consumer applications, and uh, now finance, uh, we'll be adding that on as well, because of course we can do things with the scaling and finance that can't be done with any of the other platforms as well.